Welcome to Sunday mornings here at FBC. Uh, my name is Joe Andrews. If you've never been here before, uh, you won't know that I am not the pastor. So I am not the pastor. Uh, the pastor is David Burroughs, and he's sitting right there judging me. Uh, thanks for being here, buddy. <laughs> uh, what other job in the world does your boss tell you? Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to do my job, and I'm going to sit there and watch you with 250 other people two times. Uh, just this job. So that's, uh, that's fun for me. I'm excited for... Uh, uh, an awesome Sunday. I absolutely love teaching the Word of God, and I hope uh, that you can see that as I, as I teach you today. Um, we're going to be talking about something that's, that I just love. Uh, we're going to be talking about responding to God. In fact, uh, the title of my message today is The Right Response, um, and I think there's wrong ways and right ways that we respond to things in life. Uh, just this Friday, I took my son, it was his 12th birthday, took him to see Avengers Endgame. Uh, how many of you have seen that already? Uh, quite a number. If you haven't, I'm going to spoil everything, so just get ready for that. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that to you. I know some of you will be very, very upset with me if I do that. I will kind of spoil the very first part, okay? The very first part starts off a little bit sad. So you come off, and it's, you're just kind of at this low point, uh, but then the Avengers music starts to play, and I, I didn't know this at the time, but I was at the theater on, like on the diehards night, okay? These are the people who've waited for this movie for their entire lives. Like their life is culminating in the Avengers Endgame movie. And I don't realize that it's so important to so many people. So you come off of this sad scene and you're like, oh my gosh, I was like, what am I doing with my life? And, and you're just looking and then you, you hear the Avengers music start playing. You see the Marvel logo come and all the comic book characters are flashing all across the logo. And the entire theater responds, uh, minus me, by clapping at this point. And I'm like sad, like contemplating life and everything. And this, this is so sad right now. And everybody else is like, yeah! And I mean, the place just erupts. So I totally had the wrong response uh, to that moment because that theater was all about something that I didn't have any clue about. Uh, so the next time I just decide, all right, well, when this happens again, if they, if they start clapping again, I'm going all out. I'm going to rip, rip my shirt and swing it in the air. And it's, it's going to be awesome. So I hear them start clapping and I, I do this. Uh, and it was the wrong response again. I don't know what to tell you. I couldn't get it right that day. I guess it's somewhere in the middle just a light clap maybe would have done well. Uh, of course, I obviously didn't do that. Some of you are like, this guy's a lunatic. Uh, I remember in ninth grade, I'm in Mrs. Fulton's class, sweetest teacher in the world, and she's reading to us. I'm in, uh, and, and I, I have my buddy next to me. I don't know if you know this about me, but I was voted class clown uh, for several years in high school. And so she's reading. She's so sweet. And I, I regret this to this day. But she's, uh, she just says, she has a question after she's done reading. She says, uh, what, what do you think was the reason behind why the author wrote this? And I'm like... You know what I should have said? I should have said, you know, Shakespeare wrote this elegant piece of prose uh, because he had experienced true love and its fragility. Uh, but I didn't say that even a little bit, okay? What I said was the following. She asked the question, and I say, uh, yeah, Mrs. Fulton. And she's like, yes, Joe. And I say, did you know if you take the L out of your name, your name is Mrs. Futon? 
And in the principal's office, I realized that that was the incorrect response to that question. There's a lot of ways that we respond in life. Some of them are right, some of them are wrong. We lived in another culture. We responded wrong all the time. But there's also a right and a wrong way to respond to the word of God. There's a right and a, way, a wrong way that we respond to, to him and to his word. And uh, I was thinking as I was putting this message together about the people that would be in this room and, and what they would be like, because really this message has served as a reminder in my own life that I need to respond to the word of God in a manner that's worthy of the word of God and worthy of what he's done for me instead of just letting it roll off my back and forgetting about whatever I heard. And so I thought maybe there's somebody that it's their first time in here and they come in and they see, uh, they see all of us worshiping the Lord together and they might not know even how to respond to that. And then they listen to some message uh, by like an intensely handsome man up on stage like today. Not like last week, but like today. And, and they hear this message from God, but they, they don't know exactly what to do with it because they've never been in this setting before. And then I thought there's probably others of us that are in here that we've been in in a lot of sermons. We've heard the Bible taught a lot. We, maybe our whole lives, maybe half of our lives, maybe just the last few years, but we're getting used to hearing the word of God and we probably get so used to it that it kind of goes in one ear and it goes out the other. And I think that's the wrong response that we are to have as the word is bring, being preached to us. And so when I came across this story, it's the story of Josiah. Uh, you find it in Second Chronicles, and that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in the 34th chapter. Uh, but Josiah is, uh, is a king. He's a king in Judah. Let me give you a little context so you kind of understand what's going on. Saul was the first king that Israel had ever had, and he did a pretty bad job, but he was one king, and he had one kingdom, so that was all right. Uh, then David succeeded him on the throne. David did a great job. He had his mistakes, but he did a really good job at being king, and he led the people very well. In fact, he's the quintessential king of all of Israel. Uh, after him, Solomon uh, got on the throne. He was the wisest king ever and uh, wisest man ever, and he did a great job, more or less, of being a king, and he had one kingdom. But after him, his son, uh, they, they crown his son king, but God wanted another king, and so you had two kings of one kingdom, that can't last for very long, and so what happens is the two kingdoms divide, or the one kingdom divides, and it divides into two. It divides into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom uh, had for its capital Samaria, and the northern kingdom is called Israel, all right? In the southern kingdom, it's called Judah, so you have Israel and Judah now. You just used to have the kingdom of Israel. Now you have Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and Jerusalem is the capital of the southern kingdom, and Josiah is one of the last kings uh, in the southern kingdom. Now, no king of the, about the 22 or 23 kings uh, that the northern kingdom had, not one of them, was it ever written of his life that he did right in the eyes of the Lord. But in the southern kingdom, there's about eight that it says, all right, these guys did okay. When you're reading First and Second Kings and you're reading First and Second Chronicles, it's just this long list of kings. And every time you read a new chapter, it's a new king and it just weighs their life with the statement, this person did evil in the sight of the Lord or this person did right in sight of the Lord. And so that really brings us to where we are now. He's one of the last kings uh, in the southern kingdom, Josiah is. And we're gonna read a little about his life right now. 
This is Second uh, Chronicles 34. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of David, his father. And he didn't turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, and the carved and the metal images. So uh, you have Josiah. He's... Uh, He's, he's a young king, uh, but he starts to do some amazing things. And we're going to look at his life in a, in a little bit more detail in just a second. But he starts removing all of the idols from the land. And then he sees that the temple is just all messed up. It, nobody's been paying attention to it. And he decides, okay, here's what needs to happen with the temple. I need to fix the temple. And so he starts restoring the temple. In that process, a book is found in the temple of God. What book do you think that would be? Is the, their scriptures, okay? It was probably the first five books of the Bible. Other scholars say it was just a portion, maybe the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, I tend to agree that it was, it was the whole Bible because I think Josiah would have already known uh, because he was already seeking the Lord, so he would have known what the, what the book said. And so here's what happens. The high priest finds the book, okay? And he reads it and he gives it to somebody else and they read it and they're like, okay, we need to tell the king about this. And so they go to Josiah and they tell him and he tears his clothes and he says, we need to go ask a prophet about what God wants us to do now. So he sends them uh, to a prophetess and uh, a prophetess, I don't, I was trying to say that word like over and over this, this week. I'm like, is it prophetess? Is it prophetess? Prophetess? I don't know. It's prophetess, okay? And so he sends uh, his men over there, and God has a word uh, from himself through the prophet to Josiah, and that brings us to verse 26. This is what it says. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what you shall say to him. This is what I, the Lord, say, the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. Because of your heart, because the fact that your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you've humbled yourself before me, and you've torn your clothes and you've wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. And that's about the time when Josiah's faith just starts to spill into all of his kingdom. And this is what we read uh, in verse 30. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, listen, and all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. So you see Josiah's faith begins to spill out to everyone and he reads the word of God to everybody because he was so moved by it. So here's uh, what I really want you to take home today. If you, somebody asks you tomorrow, hey, did you go to church yesterday? And you could say, yes, I did. And usually you might say, uh, if they ask you, well, what was it about? And you'll be like, I can't remember. <laughs> Anybody do that? Or is it just me? Uh, okay, so it's probably all of us. But now I want you to, to be able to tell them this, okay? The word of God should always move us towards God in two ways. It should move us towards God in humility, and it should move us towards God in brokenness sometimes, okay? Every time we read the Bible, the Bible should move us towards God always in humility. 
as we see him portrayed as our awesome and our wonderful creator, bigger than life, bigger than anything else. But sometimes when we hear the word of God or when we're reading the word of God or when it's spoken to us, it should sometimes move us towards God in brokenness because we see ourselves for who we really are. Now, it's not every single time that you're going to read the Bible, you're just going to be broken. I don't think that's uh, what this scripture teaches, but sometimes that does happen. So that's what I want you to remember today. Right now, I want to look at Josiah's life, and uh, the guy that wrote Chronicles, we're not sure who it was, uh, we don't know who it was, uh, but we have named him the Chronicler, uh, because he wrote Chronicles, so Chronicler sounds pretty sweet. Uh, So they came up with that, and so he makes sure that when he's telling us about the life of Josiah, that he gives us some key ages in his life, all right? And it's pretty cool to see the significant things in Josiah's life uh, that happened at these specific ages. So let's look at some of these ages uh, of Josiah. The first one that we come to is is when Josiah becomes a king. He's eight years old, all right? Any eight-year-olds in here ready to be king? Uh, That would be a horrible idea, okay? So you might be thinking, well, why would they make this kid king if he's only eight years old? Well, if you watched any TV ever, okay, and you watch kings and queens and they have princesses and princes, uh, when something happens to the king, like he goes off to war or someone uh, kills him, uh, usually the prince will become the next king. That's exactly what happened in Josiah's life, all right? Uh, Josiah's dad, his name was Amon. Sounds like he was Jamaican, but I don't think he was. Amon, I'm just saying, all the evidence is there, okay? His name is Amon, and he's in the palace, and uh, his servants decide, we're going to conspire against the king, and we're going to kill him in his own house. And that's exactly what they did. So listen, if you're thinking about Josiah now, this eight-year-old has just had his father, the king, murdered in his own house. I don't know what Josiah saw or what he heard, but that's a pretty rough start to the rest of your life at eight years old, all right? I know you're probably thinking the uh, similarities between you, Joe, and Josiah are uncanny. Uh, You're absolutely right, except that I wasn't a king and my father wasn't murdered in my house, all right? So here's, here's what happened. After Josiah has come through this horrible ordeal. He's made king just to make it just a little bit heavier on him. And we get this amazing summary of really his whole 31 years as king. And it's in verse two. This is what it says. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Okay. That means when the Lord looked at Josiah and his life, the Lord was pleased with it. Wouldn't that be your desire that the Lord would just look on you and, and just say, I'm, I'm pleased with the way you're going. You don't do everything perfect. You don't follow me perfectly, but I'm pleased with the way you're doing. And so it sums up Josiah's entire kinghood in, in that uh, phrase. And then he adds another, he walked in the ways of David, his father. Now, David, as I said earlier, is the quintessential king of Israel. He was used as kind of the measuring rod for every other king. Either they did or didn't do as good as David did at being king and at following the Lord. And Josiah measured up, which is pretty incredible. Uh, David didn't do every single thing perfect, but uh, he was a good king and he did love the Lord. And when he sinned against the Lord, he repented before the Lord. 
then it says this about Josiah's life. He didn't turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand. It's just the picture of somebody walking a straight line exactly where God wants him to go. And he didn't get distracted by anything in life. That's pretty, a pretty amazing testimony. I wish that that could be said about my own life, but it can't be. So at eight years old, he becomes king. At 16 years old, Josiah begins to seek God, okay? This is awesome, and this just gives me hope for raising kids in this world, because I know if you guys have kids, you're just thinking about what's next for them. Are they going to make it? Are they going to follow the Lord? Are they going to be able to do this? Are they going to be able to do that? I really hope they stay away from these things, and this, this just gives me hope, that a king at 16 years old decides, you know what, I'm following the Lord. For now and for always, I'm following the Lord. And that's what we want for all of our kids. That's why some of your kids right now are in Upstreet. Others are in Wombaland. And guess what they're learning? They're learning how to seek the Lord. They're learning about him. They're learning about his love for them. And hopefully what we all want is that they make this awesome decision one day that, where they say, you know what, I'm going to seek the Lord. And it gives me hope for my own kid. Uh, my oldest is about to go into middle school, and that scares me. Oh my gosh, middle school is horrible for me. Uh, but at the same time, I know how we've trained him, the kind of boy he is, the kind of children all my, my kids are. They're raised in, in the church, and they love Jesus. And so Josiah was this man who sought the Lord at age 16. Hope for you and me and for our children. Next thing that I want you to see is Josiah made huge changes in Jerusalem, and this is at 20 years old. So he's now been seeking the Lord for four years, okay? So for four years, at, since 16 to 20, he's been seeking the Lord, and he's been seeking his will for his life. He's been following him, not to the right, not to the left, not being tempted. He's doing really well, and his faith begins to spill over into his kingdom. And the thing that he begins to do it really just defies everything that was characteristic of Israel in this time because they were idol worshipers and Josiah decided to remove all the idols. They would put them on high places. They would put them under trees. And Josiah, they actually put them in the temple of God as well. And Josiah begins to remove them one by one until they're all gone because he doesn't want his kingdom to be some kingdom that follows a false god. He wants Judah to follow the Lord, the one true God, with its whole heart. And so he begins to take all of this down. Uh, we've part, made a partnership in Mexico. I don't know if you know, uh, a lot of you have been on uh, a few of the trips that we've done, but we've partnered with a pastor. His name is Miguel Olivares. And we go and visit him. We do different things with, uh, with his children's home and with his church. Uh, we have another trip coming up in August. We're going to go help them out with a vacation Bible school. Those are usually to and from Mexico, same day kind of trips. Uh, so we're going to do that probably four days in August or something like that. Uh, but the thing that always impresses me when I go into Mexico is as soon as I cross the border, I mean literally right when I cross, there's somebody there trying to sell me a little idol right away. And if you go through Santa Teresa, you're driving in the middle of the desert and there's nothing there for miles and miles and miles. Except one thing, this is there. Go ahead and look on the screen. This little, they call it a chapel. 
uh, in Spanish, we call it a shrine. Uh, this one is actually taken from Google Maps. I was like, there's probably a picture over there. I can drag the little man and put him there and see his 3D view. So this is what you see. Look at this. There's nothing even close to this thing. There's nothing for miles. And so whoever put it there was like, when someone comes into Mexico, this is what we want them seeing first. We want them stopping here first because we honor the Virgin of Guadalupe. If you go inside, uh, as me and the pastor did, because I really wanted to just see if this kind of matched up with some of the idolatry that I had seen uh, in the past, and it, and it does. Uh, you have a large idol there. You have candles. Uh, you make petitions to the idol, and uh, it's, it's just hard for me to even think about and see. And this is the kind of thing that Josiah was removing out of his kingdom. And now it wasn't that, obviously. This is here near us. They're in a different time. Their idols were actual gods. This is actually not a god. And the people that go and honor this idol would not say that it's a god, but they treat it like it is. And so Josiah decides, okay, I'm getting rid of it all so that nobody can see some false god. So that when people come into Jerusalem, they will know that we worship one God and one God only, and he makes these incredible sweeping changes. Then we come to a huge discovery. And this is when Josiah is 26 years old. So he's been on the throne for a while. He started at eight, remember? He's 26 now, he's a man, and his faith just keeps spilling out over into the culture. And uh, what happens here is, is just awesome. He knows that just like the people of Israel have forgotten about God, they've also forgotten about God's temple. And it was just dilapidated. It really looked like their faith. It was beat up and it was broken down. And it looked like their faith. And he says, all right, here's what we need to do. We have to restore the temple so that we place importance where importance should be placed. This temple needs to to reflect the God who we worship here, the God who decided to display his glory here in the temple. And he decides to just renovate this whole thing. And in the process, the high priest finds a book. And we already talked about what that is. It's the book of the covenant. It was the scriptures that they had up to that point. And uh, as soon as they saw it, they knew that it had importance and they read it. And the, the high priest, whose name was Hilkiah, he read it and he passed it to another guy named Shaphan and he read it and, he, and they both said, we got to get this to the king and we got to get it to the king now. And so they took it to the king and they read This book, the scriptures, God's word to the king, and the king is undone. He can't handle what he just heard in there, and it breaks his heart. So we see now Josiah's response to God because of God's word. Josiah hears God's word, and he he literally, the Bible says, tears his clothes, tears his garments, tears his shirt. Now, in our culture, we have a lot of shirt tearing. I don't know if you've realized this, but we have a lot of shirt tearing. Uh, Hulk Hogan was kind of like the shirt terror, okay? He would enter the ring as a WWF superstar, just the, the biggest, coolest guy. He's, he was the John Cena of my, uh, my little childhood. And he would come into the ring and he had uh, a tight, <laughs> a tight little tiny yellow tank top and he would scream when he came into the ring and he would go, Aah! and he would just tear 
tear his shirt off. That's like one of the shirt terrors that we have uh, in our culture. Another one, though, is Superman. Superman would tear his shirt, and it would, he, would, he would reveal his true self. It wasn't to show his brute strength. It was, it was to show who he really was. And he, he, would, he would do it a little, a little calmer, wouldn't scream, just kind of like a hero. It was pretty, pretty awesome. And if you like that, I'm available for any films that you might be shooting uh, that have a superhero in them. Uh, that would be awesome. That was, that was an audition, kind of. Uh, other shirt terrors in our culture, Carmen Electra, but we're not going to talk about uh, what that showed. What we're going to do is we're going to move straight to the tears on the jeans. You guys have seen these? We, we tear holes in our jeans. A lot of us do it on purpose. A lot of us buy jeans with holes in them. I have, I have a pair like that. Pastor loves it when I wear them. If you want to get on the pastor's good side, all of you next week, just buy some, some jeans with holes in them and just everybody wear them and he'll be the only one with uh, no holes in his jeans. Uh, there's a whole bunch of examples that we have about, about shirt tearing in our own culture, but this is nothing to do with Josiah. Josiah when he ripped his shirt, it was really an outward expression of what was going on in his heart. He heard the word of the Lord and he responds correctly to it because his heart feels like it's been ripped into. And the only reason, the only way that he could really express what was going on inside is just to rip his shirt. And he was broken after he heard the word of God few other people in the Bible that, would, that tore their shirt because it felt like their heart was being ripped into was Job when he hears that his 10 children died at the exact same time, in the exact same accident. His heart was ripped in two, maybe 10, and he tears his shirt. David, when he hears that King Saul and his best friend Jonathan had just been slain, rips his shirt because he couldn't handle the pain inside. Caiaphas, in the New Testament, listening to Jesus, after Jesus says that he is the son of God, therefore equating himself with God, Caiaphas tears his shirt. Why? Because he thought it was blasphemy that Jesus would ever say something like that. He thought it was a lie, but it wasn't. But that, what he thought was a lie from the mouth of Jesus caused him so much pain on the inside that he tore his shirt on the outside. And so we have this amazing display of Josiah that just says, I'm, I'm broken, I'm torn to pieces. And he responded to God in the correct way. Josiah is really a supreme example of how you and I should respond to God, okay? After he tears his garments, uh, he says, we need to figure out what God wants from us now. So I'm going to send you to a prophetess, and her name is Hulda. FYI, great name if you're going to have a baby soon. Nobody knows if it's a woman's or a boy's name now, just the people in this room. It was a prophetess. And so listen just how it rolls off the tongue. Hulda, dinner's ready. Boy or girl, I don't know. It's awesome. Just consider it. I'm just saying, please consider it. All right? If somebody names their kid Hulda, it's going to be the funniest thing ever. So God speaks through the prophetess Huldah, and he speaks directly to Josiah, and he says four things about him. He says, because you responded to my word like you did, because your heart was tender, all right? Josiah had a tender heart 
when he heard the word of God. Why? Because he was already seeking God. And then when he heard the word of God, he was like, oh my gosh, this is not good. I've transgressed the law. My people are transgressing the law. We're, we're, this is not a good situation for us. And his tender heart receives that from the Lord. Then the Lord says that he humbled himself. Josiah humbled himself before the Lord at this time because he felt how insignificant he was and how significant and great God was. Then the Lord says, you also tore your shirt and you also wept before me. Josiah broke down in that moment when he heard the word of God. This is the way to respond to the word of God. Now, this isn't the the way that you respond to every single passage in scripture, but this was a right way to respond to God. And so I wonder if our hearts are tender like the heart of Josiah. I wonder if we humble ourselves when we hear his word spoken to us. I wonder if sometimes we weep. I wonder if sometimes if we're just broken after we hear the word of God. So I have a couple questions for us as we bring this all to a close. Here's the first one. Are you seeking God? Because at age 16, the Bible says that Josiah was seeking God. And I'll tell you one thing. If you're not seeking God, you're probably not going to hear from God. And then you're not even going to be able to respond to God. And today we're talking about having the right response. So if you're not seeking God, yeah, you have to be so that you can hear from him, so that you can respond to him. And if you're not, I just encourage you, uh, really the easiest application from this whole passage, if, if somebody were just to read it, the easiest thing would be, don't forget about the word of God. Okay, that's what the whole nation had done. They forgot about God, they forgot about the word of God, and they forgot about the temple until they found it and it changed their lives. So the easiest application from today is just don't forget about this. You are holding the word of God in your hands when you have this in your hands. The next question that I have for you is, do you respond to the word with brokenness? Sometimes, not every time you're going to read the Bible, the Lord is just going to break your spirit and you're just going to, you're going to see yourself for who you truly are and it just hurts you. And like Josiah, you would just want to rip your garments. Are you responding to God with brokenness ever? Here's the last one. Do you respond to God in humility? After you hear the word preached or after your child recites a memory verse to you, does it go in one ear and out the other or do you respond to God's greatness in your humility? Are you able to make the connection that you have this big God who loves you so much, who could do anything he wanted at any time, and when you read his word, you just say, you are God and I am not. Do with me what you will. And that really brings us kind of full circle to what I said, really, this is what I want you to remember today. I'm going to repeat it one more time. The word of God should always move us towards God in humility and sometimes towards God in our brokenness. So this is, this is pretty uh, interesting. We have a time during our service, every service that we do. It's called a response time. We want you to respond to the word of God, not just today, but every time you hear the word of God. And I, I want to tell you, this comes out of my own life because I hear a lot of 
preaching here week in and week out. And guess what happens? Sometimes I'm too tired. Sometimes I'm just not listening. And I let the word of God, the words of the very living God, just roll right off me and I don't pay much attention to it. So in just a second, we have a response time. I don't know how God is leading you to respond. Maybe he's leading to re- you to respond in humility as you just say, God, I'm, I am so, so blown away by who you are and how much you love me. Maybe he's moving you in response to brokenness. Maybe he's moving you to join this church. Maybe, none of you, maybe one of you or two of you or three of you in this room have never responded to God at all, not even to be saved. We're gonna have some guys up here in just a second. You can come and tell us if you wanna join the church, if you want some prayer, but don't let this just go in one ear and out the other. Make this the start of a lifestyle of responding to God like you should. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear God, we love you. We are blown away by who you are, by what you've done for us. God, we're blown away by men in the Bible who sought you with their whole hearts, who didn't turn from the right or to the left, but who honored you in everything that they did. God, would you help us respond to you and to your word like Josiah did? We want to be people who hear your word and take it in with a tender heart. We want to humble ourselves before you, God, and if the situation calls for it, and if you're moving us to respond, God, that we would even weep. You are our God, and we want to honor you in every single thing that we do. In Jesus' name.